believers. Strengthen us, Lord, according to your word. Direct us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you for utterance and direction this morning. But more than that, I pray that the people's ears, spiritual ears, would be opened. And that you would speak to them, to each one, according to your plan for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 21. I know this looks a lot like a church service, but it's not. This is a peaceful protest. Now, for peaceful protests, you can have as many people as you want, anywhere you want them. Luke chapter 21. Let's start in verse 5. And it said, As some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, Jesus said, As for these things which you behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And Jesus said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. We've talked many times about what Jesus said in verse 10. Nation shall rise against nation. That word nation is the word ethnos in the Greek. And it, uh, it's where we get our word ethnic or ethnicities or anything related to the word ethnic. It's talking about race wars. It's saying blacks will be against whites. Other colors, other ethnic groups against other ethnic groups. And he said, and kingdoms shall be against kingdoms. Now, that's talking about rulers. It's talking about countries. But before Jesus said these things, he said, take heed that you be not deceived. Because many will come in my name and shall lead away or lead astray many. Let me read it again in verse 8. He said, take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ." And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. We've discussed this on many occasions. Who in the world in the body of Christ is going to be pulled away by somebody saying, I am Christ? 
there's got to be something more to it than just the way that it reads. Now, when Jesus said that they will say, I am Christ, perhaps he meant that people would say, this is what God would do. Christ is the way to God. So maybe he's talking about people coming up with different ideas about what God would do or the way that God would do things. Skip down with me to verse 34 of this same 21st chapter. Jesus said, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day would come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I was tempted this morning to start in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 talks about how uh, it gives an overview of the devil, the devil's activities, and God's dealings with the devil. It talks about how there was in heaven, John saw there was in heaven a great wonder. He saw a woman about to give birth to a child. The woman is talking about Israel. The child is Jesus. And there was a great dragon that took a third of the stars and cast them into the earth. And it tells about the war that took place in heaven and how Satan himself was cast into the earth. And right in the middle of the chapter, in verse 12, it says, Woe unto the earth because of the great wrath that will come from the devil. For he knows his time is short. Now, folks, the Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back. So how would the devil know that his time is short? He's certainly not going to know anything about God's timetable. He knows what God's going to do, what God has said he's going to do. But how would he know when that takes place? Jesus said, all things that are uh, the Father's are mine. And all the things that are mine, I'll show unto you. And that's the reason why Jesus himself doesn't know the day or the hour that he's coming back for the church. If he knew, he'd tell us. Well, then it's left for all of us, the devil included, to read the signs of the times to figure out where we are. I think the devil's better at reading signs than most Christians. Why in the world, if we understood and if we accepted the reality of the spirit realm and things that are going on around us, for example, in Daniel, it tells us about how there was a king of Persia that was pulling strings. It was a spirit being, and he was pulling strings behind the scenes. We know that the devil has tempted Jesus with rulership on the earth. He showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time and said, I'll give you this power and power over them if you'll worship me. Of course, Jesus refused. But the devil is identifying, specifically identifying, that he's working behind the scenes in the area of government and politics. 
Now, folks, if we know these things, and the Bible tells us to know them, if we know the things that are unseen, that are really directing the things that we can see, then how in the world would, or why in the world would Jesus have to tell the church, along with his disciples, don't get distracted? That's what verse 34 is all about. Don't get distracted. Don't let your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. Surfeiting is basically a hangover, the pain of drunkenness. He said, don't, get, don't let yourself get distracted by surfeiting or by drunkenness or by the cares of this world. Now, folks, God has promised to take care of us. Physically, financially, and spiritually. So why in the world would Christians who have the knowledge of things that are going on behind the scenes, how is it possible for believers to get distracted? It doesn't mean we don't take care of the things that are at hand. It doesn't mean we don't believe God for the finances we need or the healing that has been provided by the stripes of Jesus. It doesn't mean we put away any of those things. But it means we never lose sight of the greater work that is done in the realm of the unseen. Don't get distracted. I'll take that as an amen. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I've been teaching this for about the last six or eight weeks, and I can't get away from it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. This is what's going on behind the scenes. That's where our fight is. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying. This is prayer armor. Because we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against unseen forces that are dominating the earth and dominating political leaders and governments. So he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice again verse 11 where it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
This word wiles means trickery, deceitfulness. But the root word that it comes from means traveling over. In other words, Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost that there's a road that the devil travels. One road. And that one road is deception. God made man to have authority on the earth according to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And let him have dominion over all the works of our hands. Suppose God gave man dominion on the earth. Some would think that man lost that dominion to Satan. But if that's true, then why doesn't Satan just strong arm everybody into doing what he tells them to do? Man hasn't lost his free will and choice. If the devil had authority in the earth, if the devil had been given man's authority on the earth when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, then it would be impossible for man to be saved. It would be impossible for man to choose to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior because the devil would exercise authority over him to keep him from salvation. But that's not how it works. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come to me. Your will still dominates what happens in your life. Your will decides what you will have and what you won't have. And the only way the devil can rob you of what you can have and what's been made available to you by the work of Jesus is to deceive you in some way or another. He deceives much of the church by making them believe that they don't have what the Bible says is theirs. Those things have been done away with, they'll say. Now, the early church had the power of God on display, but we can't have that because we're in a different day. Well, that deception will rob you of everything that Jesus purchased. Other people are deceived in other ways. Some people are deceived by the idea that God is sovereign and God chooses what you're going to have. God chooses how things will or won't be for you. That God's picking winners and losers in life. But that can't be true either. Deception is the only way you can be robbed from what God has purchased through you, purchased for you through the sacrifice of Jesus. So the one road the devil travels is deception. Now we've looked in, in previous services talking about this same subject. We've seen how fear is the way that the devil brings deception to a multitude of people. If he can't make you afraid, then he can't deceive you. So if deception is the road the devil travels on, then fear is the car in which he travels. Now, folks, I grew up in Mayberry, RFD. It really wasn't quite that bad, but it was close. We would be out from sunup to sundown. We, meaning the, the kids in my neighborhood that we hung around with, that I hung around with. 
we'd be gone all day. You know why the, how they came up with that, uh, the street lights that turn on as soon as it starts getting dark? Well, that was invented by somebody that was where I'm from. Because that was a signal that it's time to go home. Because we'd ride our bikes for miles and miles away. Nobody would hear any parent hollering. We played in Turkey Creek. We traveled on roads with names like Five Mile Road. <laughs> and of all the things, the terrible things that could happen and do happen to kids nowadays, that was virtually unheard of. Virtually unheard of. But there were occasions where somebody would hear a story about some kid being taken or something like that, and it was always the same thing. There was one rule that our parents grilled into us, and that was don't get in the car with strangers. It wasn't don't talk to strangers because you had to be respectful to everybody. So it wasn't a matter of staying apart or pulling yourself away from anybody that could do you harm. There was simply one rule. Don't get in the car with strangers. And every story you'd hear about some kid being taken, it would be something along the lines of somebody in the car offered them candy to come ride with them or whatever. And that's how the evil took place. So folks, don't get in the car with strangers. <laughs> the Bible says that a stranger we will not follow for we know not his voice. But the Bible also says that we know the voice of God. Yes. We know the voice of God. John wrote to the church, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, he said, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 27 of that same chapter, he says, but the anointing which abides in you will teach you, and you don't need to be taught from somebody else about what's right or wrong because you know that from the inside. Well, folks, when we look at the things that are going on around us and just look at what a change has been made over the last week, suddenly the coronavirus is gone. <laughs> now it's not anything about coronavirus. It's all about peaceful protests. And we live in a world where you have to take a position. Now, I'm white, so I can't talk about racism. <laughs> if I was black, I could. I think the devil sees his time is short. My granddad, who died when I was in junior high school, seventh or eighth grade, I don't remember which one it was, but I saw him probably once a week 
up until his death. But my family didn't talk politics. I don't know if that was because they didn't agree and it would start an argument. Or maybe it just wasn't done in those days. I don't know. But my granddad, the only thing, the only indication I got about race in, in any form whatsoever was that when my, we would be at my grandfather's house, if a black performer or entertainer came on the screen, he'd turn the TV off. Nobody ever questioned it. Nobody ever explained it. But it said in my mind the difference in blacks and whites. We weren't exposed very much until the segregation issues started affecting the schools. And in my junior year of high school, they bust in black kids from across town. The kids that they bust in hated it. Those of us that were in my school that were affected by the segregation or desegregation issues, we hated it. But it wasn't because we hated black people. The issue back then that was discussed was being forced and being told what to do by the government. So there were a couple of tense moments that I recall in my high school. But whether or not they affected you was by choice. There was one time, this was in a homeroom class. We'd all start out at the same place for homeroom class. And we were seated in alphabetical order. And there was a black kid that was seated right in front of me because his name the alphabet was close for us. And there was, I don't even want to give the details. It embarrasses me. It hurts my heart. But there was a situation where I did something to him, kid sitting right in front of me, that I would never do to anybody. It was a peer pressure type of thing, trying to look cool in front of other kids, and I did something that was really disrespectful to the guy. Totally uncalled for. He hadn't done anything that would warrant my response in any way whatsoever because my response was wrong for no matter what anybody would do. Now, this was long before, years before I was filled with the Holy Ghost. This was years before I knew anything about how to be led by the Spirit of God. This was before I even knew that I was a spirit being who had a soul and lived in a body. But I knew as soon as I had done that to this guy that it was wrong. And it was really wrong. And it bugged me all day long. I knew what I should do. I knew I had to make it right. And so the next morning in homeroom class, I made it right as much as I could. I apologized to him in front of the same people that I had done the wrong thing before. And for me, that settled the racism issue. I learned something just between me and God. 
And that settled the issue of racism. It settled the issue of one color being less than another color. Or one color being greater than the other color. Now, folks, with the things that are taking place all around us, the idea that you can force unsaved men to do godly things is absurd. There will ever only be one answer for racism, and that's the love of God. Now, the Bible tells us there are three people that we need to love. One is the brethren. John said in his letter to the church, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he said, we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. So we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus told us to love our neighbors, and he gave us the example in Mark chapter 10 about the, uh, the good Samaritan and identified that the neighbor is the person that cares. So we're supposed to love the brethren, we're supposed to love the neighbors, and then Jesus went even further and he said, love your enemies. Now, folks, you, love, you walk in love toward those three people groups, and there will never be any room for racism in any way whatsoever. We're hearing shouted all around us, Black Lives Matter. Well, of course, black lives matter. If, if you say anything more, though, if you say all lives matter, you get in trouble, too. All of a sudden, that's racist. So let's say this. Let's say eternal life matters. Amen. Hashtag that. Now, if somebody has experienced racism or discrimination and needs to be heard about that, great. But eternal life is what matters. And the reason eternal life matters is not because of one race, the opportunity that one race gets versus another race Eternal life matters because it's the way to God. Now, folks, again, keep in mind all the things that are going on around us from the devil's perspective are intended to distract you. To distract you specifically, primarily, from the reality that eternal life matters. We live in a time where emotions are high, which should be a good indication of who they're from. Now, what is the underlying or the overriding theme of this earth that we live in? Well, if you look at natural things to tell you that, look how quickly things have changed over the last several months. We went from impeachment to COVID-19 to protests. Black Lives Matter protests. Supernaturally quick. Supernaturally fast. You can't make a turn like that unless there's something supernatural about it. 
So how are we to interpret these things? Well, if we interpret them any other way than the Word of God, we're going to be caught up going the wrong way. Now, folks, one of the things that disturbs me about the circumstances of, uh, in which we live, specifically the protests and things like that, I'm keeping my eyes open on how the church responds. And I am tremendously disappointed in how some of the famous ministers, most well-known ministers, are handling the situation, the things that they're saying about it. Because they're departing from the word. I've never seen fear at a greater level in my lifetime concerning anything, even being involved in wars. Christians are panicking. Now, the Bible says during the tribulation period, and this is in Revelation chapter 12 as well, it says during the tribulation period, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Think about what that means. It literally means people will be dying because of fear. Heart attacks because of fear and stress. Well, it stands to reason if that's going to happen during the tribulation, then when we're close to the tribulation, we might see some of that building as well, doesn't it? One of the things that's come alive in me, well, turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. This is too important for me just to quote and mention. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. These are some scriptures that the Lord gave us to pray. Going on 10 years ago now. And these are the things that we prayed every Sunday evening in prayer school. For these last eight or nine years I guess. Beginning in verse 6 it says. For thus saith the Lord of hosts yet once it is a little while. And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, let me explain what that means. Paul said in his letter to the, to the Galatians that the whole earth groaneth and travaileth until the appearing of the sons of God. Now, the appearing of the sons of God is one of two things. It's either the church living as Jesus did on the earth, operating in power and authority, or it's Jesus coming back in the rapture of the church. Either one of those things is close to the same point in time. So here where it says, the desire of all nations shall come, it means the earth will see the appearance of the church living and acting like Jesus and or the rapture when Jesus comes back for us. See, the earth wasn't meant to live under the bondage of spiritual death. God created it as the home for his man, a righteous place for righteous people. So he says, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Now, the house he's talking about is the church. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, notice this phrase. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. When we started praying these things, probably the least important phrase of those verses to me was in, and in this place will I give peace. But when you see people losing their minds, Christians losing their minds over the things that are taking place around them, the peace of the church is rising more and more in importance. It seems that the closer we get to the end, the church is going to be a place where men and women run to seeking to find peace. Now, folks, if we don't operate in peace, we can't show peace. The Old Testament says in Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Well, having your mind stayed on the word or stayed on God means renewing your mind to the word. And there's no other way to have peace, especially as the devil increases and steps up his efforts, knowing his time is short. I don't believe what we're seeing is going to be the end of what the devil is doing in, a, in our country or in the earth. I don't expect this peaceful protest, Black Lives Matter stuff, to last more than another month or so. And then it'll be something else. Just like we all breathed a sigh of relief when the, uh, the impeachment thing ended. Less than a week later, here comes the coronavirus. Then that was shoved off the front page by the protests. Now, I don't want to make any assumptions about anything. I assume you see things the way I do. But week after week after week, you prove me wrong. If I could, I would never say anything about any of this stuff. I would simply talk about the underlying thing. And the underlying thing is the devil against the church. That is the underlying thing of everything that's going on, everything that has gone on. If the devil could destroy the earth, he would have done it already. If the devil could destroy people in and of himself, in his own power, his own authority, he would have done it already. But he can't do that no matter what he threatens you with. And so he has to stir up people to fight his battles. That's what's going on in the earth that we're in. And if we don't settle ourselves and recognize that, then there'll be no way for us to operate in the peace of God. Which in my opinion is worth a whole lot more than money. Eternal life matters. 
Not just being saved, but being kept by the power of God's word. So we know the road the devil travels. We know what he travels in down that road. We're going to have to build up an immunity to, against fear. And the only way you can do that is by renewing your mind to the word. That's why God said, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, when God instructs us not to fear, what does he mean? Does he mean don't feel fear? See, some people, and this is where the devil trips them up, I think, well, I know. But if the devil can bring you fear and then get you to accept it or to feel it, he'll tell you that you're already in a position where you can't be helped. There's no deliverance for you. Because, folks, if you take fear out of the equation, fear is always something directed by the devil against us that will affect us in a negative way. He tries to make you afraid that you're not going to have enough money to pay your rent. He tries to make you afraid that you're going to catch some disease from which you can't be healed. But if we take what the Word of God says and accept it to be true, then no matter what feelings of fear come, no matter what feelings of fear try to stay, we can stay at peace, knowing that there's a greater truth than the devil's threats. But if you don't renew your mind in that way, what are you going to do? We got a lot of the church world that has no anchor whatsoever. And so they get swept from one side to the other. Wave after wave after wave. Impeachment after virus after protest. But the Bible says that God is the anchor of your soul. He's the anchor of your soul. His word is the anchor that holds you steady. Now, I realize people, some people will take this to extreme. And here's what I mean by that. Some people think that we can just confess the word and not make any precautions whatsoever. Did you notice in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, having done all to stand, stand. That means make, make preparations. Make preparations. For example, if my home is threatened by a hurricane, I'm going to use my authority, claim protection from my property, and board up my windows. And boarding up my windows is not some sign that I don't believe. It's a part of using the wisdom that God gave us in the exercise of our spiritual authority. So I see, I saw some people doing this with the, the coronavirus thing. I saw some people in high-risk groups that were flippant or cavalier about their approach to this thing. I think that's foolish. 
Fred Price wrote a book many years ago entitled Faith, Foolishness, or Presumption. I think a lot of Christians think they're in faith and they're in foolishness. I think a lot of Christians that think they're in faith are in presumption. I think a lot of Christians aren't even trying to be in faith. But Jesus talked about the difference in building your house on the rock as opposed to building it on the sand. The only rock that holds, folks, the only rock that remains steady and will not be moved is the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word will never fail. Eternal life matters. Not just getting saved. Thank God for that. But there are other aspects to eternal life concerning protection and provision and healing and peace. Eternal life matters. Now let's look at the backdrop for all these things once again. The backdrop for life is the devil trying to destroy the people of God. The devil doesn't care much about people that are unsaved. He's already got them. But he cares a lot about destroying the people of God, destroying the church. So everything that we see Everything that we saw with the virus was about destroying the church. Everything we see about these protests is about destroying the church. Now, folks, the one thing that's been constant through these last two issues has been stripping religious liberties from people. I made a joke about it early, but it's not a joke. We're limited in how many of us can gather together. But a protest, a means of distraction from that which is most important, can be as big as you want it to be. Somehow the coronavirus knows that, you, that it can't operate in protest. Now, when the virologists figure that out, then we'll really be making progress. Folks, this, this, these things are just simply the actions of men, in many cases ungodly men, that are being shown more and more to be absolute idiocy. Well, what are we going to do? That really is what the question comes down to. That's the only thing that really matters. What are we going to do? Well, knowing that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, 
We have to, we must come to the knowledge of who we are, which is in effect putting on the armor of God. If you look at the book of Acts, you'll find that there were several different waves of persecution that, that were taking place at different periods of time. And there was never a time where any New Testament letter to the church was written when the church was not under persecution. What I mean by that is this. When Paul received inspiration of the Holy Ghost to write the letters to the church that he wrote, to tell us of what he considered to be and what he called his gospel. Paul's gospel was simply who we are in Christ. So when the church faced persecution, what did Paul write to them? Could Paul have just ignored the work of the Roman government against the church? See, that's what a lot of the church world thinks it should be. The church should just stick to spiritual things and not get involved in political or secular things. Well, folks, when you realize that spiritual things are what drive political and secular things, you really cannot separate them. You can ignore them, but we do that at our peril. So what are we to do? Well, what we are to do is to live in the knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus. We're to maintain our peace when the rest of the world comes apart. Because it will. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But God's word will never fail. I don't know if you know this or not, folks, but Jesus did not come to change society the way that some people want to change it now. There was a, a case where somebody came to Jesus and said, Master, Make my brother divide the inheritance with me. Jesus refused. He was not a social justice warrior. There's another instance in the Bible that we need to be aware of. And that is the racism that took place in Bible days, in the early days of the church. It started much, many, many years before this, but it became a custom, an accepted custom, where Gentiles were considered to be dogs. Jesus never came and said, don't call Gentiles dogs. In fact, there was one occasion where Jesus called a woman that came to him for deliverance for her daughter a dog. Now, that's a real racist thing to do. 
In all the four Gospels, you can't find but one place, one time, where Jesus did that. Only one time did he accept the cultural norm and refer to the Gentile woman as a dog. You remember that was concerning the Syrophoenician woman. She came to Jesus and he first said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she worshipped him more and said, help me. Then Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread, healing and deliverance, and to cast it to the dogs. But then she turned around and said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was healed. Well, why in the world did Jesus use a racist term? Maybe it would be unfair to call it racist, but we could certainly call it a degrading term. Why did Jesus do that? Folks, societal things are what they are. I don't deny that racism exists. I don't deny that racism is perpetuated. But I refuse to accept that, all, that everybody that's white is racist. I refuse to accept that Jesus was racist when he said what he did to the woman about being a dog. A derogatory term for Gentile. Jesus was pressed several times. Even sometimes by his disciples. To do away with the Roman government. People would say things to him like, Have you come to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because in their minds, in the Jews' minds, Roman rule over them is not what God had planned. And they were right. The only reason they became subject to Roman rule was because of their own disobedience and refusing to keep the commandments of God. The only time Israel was ever dominated by anybody is when they refused to keep the commandments of God. Which shows us that God will, God's will was for them to be free. But they weren't always free. Due to their own actions, not God's. But none of these things, none of these injustices did Jesus try to fix. Now we have to ask the question, why not? And folks, there's a very simple answer. And it's the same answer for the things that are going on today. You can't fix spiritual heart issues with natural activity. You just can't do it. It's impossible. There will be a time where there'll be no more racism. That time will occur when we go to heaven. But it won't be until then. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, I think the first thing that we are or should do is to recognize that this is not about people against other people. This is about the devil 
against God and therefore the devil against God's people, the church. So then that necessitates that we respond to these things in a spiritual manner. Now I understand that the young people are under a lot of pressure to side in with one group over another group. And I realize that the things that are going on around us are creating divisions in families. We can't allow that to happen in ours. We cannot allow that to take place. We can't allow ourselves to be divided against each other. Now, if we have something against our brother or sister, the Bible tells us how to handle that. Go to them. If it, need, if it takes a mediator to resolve the issue, then get a mediator. But we have to respond spiritually to these things. We have no other choice if we're going to maintain the peace of God in our lives. And I'll say it again. I think the peace of God may be the most important thing that we need and require in these last days. So if we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against unseen forces in the spirit realm, then we're going to have to do our fighting in prayer. That's the only option available to the church if we're going to be the church. Put on the whole armor of God, praying. Well, let's do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bring your word to you. You said that you will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. You said that you would fill this house, your church, with glory. You said the silver is yours and the gold is yours. You said the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And in this place, your church you would give peace. So you told us, Lord, to ask of you for the rain. These are certainly last day times. This is certainly the time for the rain. And you said, Father, that you would give bright clouds, which is a display of your power and a manifestation of your presence. You said that you would give bright clouds and showers of rain outpouring of supernatural and spiritual gifts outpourings of miracles and healings so you said Lord to ask you for the rain in the time of the latter rain that you would make bright clouds and showers of rain to everyone grass in the field in other words a harvest of people coming into the kingdom of God we recognize, Father, that because of the things that are taking place around us, all eyes are on us. All eyes are on your people as to what we're going to do. 
Father, you said in James chapter 5 and verse 7 that we should be patient under the coming of the Lord. Because you have long patience for the precious fruit of the earth until you receive the early and the latter rain, the same outpouring of the Spirit of God and the power of God. So, Father, we pray for the rain. We pray for the precious fruit of the earth. We pray for the action and activity of the Holy Ghost that's necessary to bring in the precious fruit of the earth. We thank you, Father, for manifestations of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for displays of power, gifts of healings, working of miracles, and special faith in operation. We thank you, Father, for pulling the veil back so that your people, the church, would clearly see the operation and the agenda of the enemy. That we would see that which is true. That we would see the things that are most important and pursue those things and not the things of the world. We purpose, Father, to not be distracted, but to recognize all that we see around us in context with the words declaration that this is about the devil coming against you and your people. Now, Father, we pray that men and women, boys and girls all around the world would see clearly the opportunity to become born again and to enter into your family. But Father, we also pray that as the enemy's agenda is exposed and revealed to all men, those that willingly align themselves with the devil's agenda, we pray that they would come to ruin. Holy Spirit, we're trusting you. We trust you to give us utterance in the Holy Spirit to pray the perfect will and plan and purpose of God. And so we yield to you now for a few moments to give us utterance in other tongues to pray the things that we don't know to pray. Hallelujah. 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 Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody here this morning that does not know Jesus is the Lord and Savior, eternal life matters. 
I simply want you to acknowledge your will to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by lifting up your hand right where you are. If you're unsaved and want to pray the prayer of salvation and come into the family of God, please lift your hand now. Well, we seem to all be family members. I believe praying 30 seconds in the other tongues can be more effective than praying an hour with our understanding. Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We magnify your great plan of redemption. We magnify you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, whose name is greater than every other name. Thank you, Father, for leading us by your Spirit. Thank you for strengthening us and helping us and holding us up with the right hand of your righteousness. Thank you, Father, for filling your house with glory, greater glory than even the early church saw. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Paul called these days perilous times. He called them, or one of the meanings, the root word for the, uh, that word perilous, means strength reducing. I want to challenge you to increase in strength in these last days, not be reduced. And you only do that through the Word. Amen.